Heidi, hi! Odi, ho. I bought the box. Hello, everybody, by the way. I just bought the box set because it's been on Afternoon Classics lately. Heidi, hi. And I missed the first series when it was being repeated. And I thought, I just want to see this from the beginning. So I just got it. And very, very enjoyable. I have no idea why I never watched this previously. I said to somebody just the other day, when I was watching all of those Duff sitcoms on Granada Plus and what have you back in the day, you know, setting the alarm for Plaza Patrol and what have you, one show I never ever remember seeing was Heidi High. I don't remember ever seeing it on UK Gold or G Plus or anything like that. So I don't know why, but no, really, really enjoyable show. And also it doesn't forget about its own continuity. It reminds you of things that have happened in previous episodes as well, which is really nice because quite often, you know, a lot of sitcoms, they go back to the year dot at the beginning of every single new episode. So yeah, maybe we'll talk about that one day. Anyway, we're back. This is part two of our discussion about the BBC sitcom season. I'm going to start with a confession. Um, Till, I'll let you decide about this. Do you want the bullshit version or do you want the truth? Let's have the bovine audio of mendacity. Okay, so I said about how I was going to watch the new BBC Two sitcoms and also the little clips on BBC Three. And then I just sort of thought, you know, this is really unfair. I mean, trying to compare all of these new sitcoms, it's not comparing apples with oranges and so on. Or no, it's, it is rather comparing apples with oranges. And I thought, if we're going to do this justice, really we should do like one sitcom club per new show or something like that. So maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that at some point. So let's not talk them down or, or do them an injustice. You know, if we're going to talk about them, we'll, we'll come to them in the future. Who's going to be joining you for that? <laughs> what makes you think I was going to be involved? Anyway... <laughs> Actually, the thing is, is that that trailer, the 12-minute trailer for the sitcom season, the one that leaped out at me unfavorably was We the Jury. Has the jury system significantly changed? Not not to the extent... In the UK, because the judge does not see you until you are in the court. (laughs) The judge does not go, it's a murder. You don't find out what the charge is until you have been selected from the panel... Right, first thing, if it's anything like my experience, and I don't think I'm betraying any great confidences because I'm going to talk about the one case I heard. You know, you normally you're not meant to hear one case. You go along, you go to the jury room, your name may be called out. Fifteen names are called out. From that jury panel of fifteen, twelve people are selected. They go and sit in the jury box, and the charge is read out. And if the case takes mere hours or a day, and you're there for two weeks, you go back down to the jury room and see if your name is called again. So when you're doing two weeks jury service, you could hear a large number of cases. I heard one on my last day. I spent a lot of time in that jury room. But also, all the characters seem to be... Um, let me not put it into words. Let me put it into a sound. <laughs> The truth of the matter is that I couldn't be arsed. I don't like news that comes in anyway, so I thought, why? Life's too short. Right, okay, so we're talking about the BBC4 lost sitcoms, which none of which are actually really lost. I'm going to talk about all three of them just now. We've watched all three whoa, of them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. They're not. They're not okay, they? it's one thing to be really grumpy and really down on these things. That's not factually incorrect. None of these shows are entirely lost. None of them. Well, if they were entirely lost, we couldn't restage them. Because well, we, 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 no... we might have a script. We might have script, a yes. Script. Yeah. Um, I'm not actually sure if the radio version of the Hancock they do is lost. I didn't do that much research. It's only the soundtrack that exists of the Till Death, so we can still say that that is effectively a lost sitcom because it was written for television. It seems perfectly fair to remount it televisually and step to one side. Yeah, yeah, right. Sling your oak. That's that's not lost. No, it's not. It's not. It's on the DVD, for goodness sake. No, but no, I'm 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 going from what you told me that you told me that the TV version of Hancock doesn't exist anymore, but the radio version does. So I I was I would believe that to be the case, but I can that's fine. It's fine to remount it televisually because the television episode doesn't exist. We don't even have a soundtrack for that version. Okay, so let's do these in the correct order. So the first one that was on in the season was Till Death is Part, and it is an episode from 1967 and it's called A Woman's Place is in the Home. And shall I say 
my controversial little bit about this now, or shall I, you know, keep a powder dry for a few minutes? Well, keep your powder dry because, of course, this has already been remade, and the remake exists. And I'm not sure why BBC Four couldn't show the remake. I mean, it's in black and white, obviously. Tell, tell, Even in this tell, day and tell, age, tell, people tell, still tell, a bit tell, what? Tell you can't. Show off Garnet these days. It's racist. It's not called Elf Garnet. I never offend. You can't show it these days. It was okay to show it on BBC Two in nineteen ninety seven. That was fine. Can't show it nowadays in twenty sixteen. What are you thinking of? Imagine suggesting such a thing. God, you're going to be blackballed from Tumblr for saying that. You really are turning into a proper old fogey. <laughs> Look, I think there are a number of rather cowardly reasons that BBC Four didn't show the already existing remake. I think they're put off by the fact it's in black and white. I think they're put off by the fact that it's a 45-minute show, and that's awkward to schedule. You seem to think that there's some sort of PC brigade who are terrified. It's in German. (laughs) So maybe some combination of those factors. I think you should just... just Briefly explain what what it is that you're talking about there. I ended up going on a wiki walk. I thought, I'll just look up a little bit about Till Death Us Do Part. I'm going to have to tell the truth. I wasn't doing it because I was doing research for the show. I wasn't doing it because I was a good podcaster. I'm doing it because I'm pretty sure I've narrowed down which particular episode it was of Till Death that Mickey Dolans was watching when he first heard the phrase Randy Scouse git. And I thought, oh, Archie Bunker. Read up a little about Archie Bunker. As far as I can tell, none of the... All in the family shows are direct adaptations of script. It's not like Steptoe to Sanford. And then I saw something about Alfred Tetzlaff, the German version of Alf Garnet. This is interesting. And he was the central character in a show called Ein Herz und eine Seele, A Heart and a Soul. So I checked YouTube and I thought I'll watch episode one. And episode one is called Das Hähnchen, The Chicken. It's the same show. It is the one that they've just adapted. It's fascinating. It's interesting because um, Alfred Tetzlaff is much more middle class. And there are certain other things. You know that Alf Garnet was in a protected occupation and didn't see any war service. Alfred Tetzlaff did see war service. So it's interesting what it might say about German history. They were, understandably, ticklish about their past. And yet you have this guy obviously harking back to some sort of good old days and condemning the present. So in the 15 years it's going to take me to be anywhere near fluent in German, I'm going to come back to Ein Herz und Eine Seele and compare it. But one thing was it starts off with him trying to light the fire and there's much more visual business happening. One of the noticeable things about this Lost sitcoms till death. It was 24 minutes? And I'd heard that they'd actually censored Alf. I might have missed something somewhere, but actually it could get to 24 minutes without censoring Alf because the way it's staged, it almost starts two minutes in. I listened to the surviving soundtrack of the original and there's definitely much more faffing around trying to light the fire. There's visual stuff happening throughout the first half. That I can only tell because I can I can hear no dialogue, but I can hear laughter. There's just little things that have been snipped out and tightened up that don't involve taking out any of Alf's unpleasant behaviour. Okay, well, before I say what I was going to say about what I thought of this episode, the, the only thing I was going to add to that was that I think that it was the easy option, this episode. Because we're being given these sitcoms as part of a season supposedly about sitcom and so you'd think that they would select perhaps episodes which show those programs at their peak and actually explain what they were about i don't really know that that's necessarily the case with really any of these because in in hancock for example the interplay between hancock and sid james is slightly odd because it's not the usual with the two of them in the house for example in Steptoe, yes, we've got certain amounts of pathos, but also a lot of the episode is, is, is farcical. So I'm not really sure that, that I love them come across as the definitive sort of episode of those shows. As far as this is concerned, I think there was an option 
here, there was an opportunity here to actually put on a traditional Till Death is Due part, but I don't think that that would ever have happened, to be honest. I think that they've gone for an episode here where the storyline and the dialogue is what they felt that they could get away with in 2016. And say, for example, if they had proposed restaging up the polls from election night in 1970, because that episode is officially lost, there's a, a poor quality tele recording of it, or doing the rounds. Had they proposed making that in 2016, then you'd never hear the end of it. You'd still be hearing about it now. You'd probably have had the Director General sat in front of a select committee defending it. And so I just got the impression that this was the safest possible deficit part they thought that they could possibly put on if they were going to stage it at all. Do you think that's the case? I do, actually. Yeah, I do. Or do you think it might be excessive self-censorship? Because in terms of... Oh, no, no, I see. I mean, I mean, reasons. No, yes, no, if you yeah, say, look, hang on, hang on. If, if anybody complains this is racist, you just say, do you know the show we're talking about? Alf Garnet is a mockery of those characteristics. And also, if you restage it in 2016, you can't even say, well, the audience are not going to be laughing in a way they can say, well, but, but hang on a minute, they're laughing along with him. Do you think it was more a case of it's just not going to be worth any potential hassle? Yes, I think I think that's definitely an element of it. But if you're going to do something, then do it properly. I don't really see how you can talk about Till Death is Do Part in any meaningful way and then use this particular episode as your example of it because it gives you an entirely false impression of what the show is like. It gives you the impression that the show basically is about a downtrodden husband who is ever so slightly ill-treated by his family. I mean, part of that's the way that it comes across in the portrayal, and we'll talk about that in a second. But this is not a typical episode of that show from that era. It, you could say, actually, in a strange way, that this would make a perfectly good typical episode of In Sickness and in Health. In the, in the 1980s series, yeah, Alf's much more that sort of downtrodden, feels the walls against him, what have you, and he, he's sort of out of touch. And, and there you are, whereas in the mid-60s, Tony Booth has, has said this previously about the freeway split, about people who are laughing at Alf, people who are laughing with Alf, and people who know that they're supposed to be laughing at Alf, but are secretly laughing with him. And this episode just does not get any of that across. So, yeah, but no, I agree. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any possibility that they would have thought this is going to be worth the hassle, and that's why I think that they would have selected this episode. You know, even then, they put out a content warning and so on, and, oh, yeah, okay, I understand, given some of the, the dialogue. It's not, there's not any specific words or really any language or anything like that. It's just more about the overall tone. Part of me would have just loved BBC4 to be brave and say, even if they said, look, we're not going to restage a typical 60s episode because the audience reaction at the live recording would be entirely different. I can get that, I can understand that, but to show an episode of the 60s series and one that's particularly perhaps memorable or controversial or whatever it may be, put all the caveats around it, have a Talking Heads programme before, after, or whatever you want, but that would have been nice as part of a sitcom season. What did you think then about the restaging itself, for its own sake? Not much. Simon Day didn't seem to want to be there. He was playing Alpha's kind of beaten down, but he almost seemed beaten down himself. And in some way, there were just certain bits where he sounded like his impression of Blakey from Harry and Paul sketch. All three of these were directed by Ben Gosling Fuller, whose work I'm not familiar with. They almost felt like somebody had said to them, and this is all the performances across all three of them. Now, don't forget, this is very stagey. I'm in a really dodgy area here because it might come across like I'm accusing people of ignorance of history or bad faith. This is the impression it gave. It's not saying that this is necessarily what happened, but it felt like somewhere along the line, there's been a decision that because these are old shows, they have to be ever slightly overacted because that's how they did it in the old days. And I don't know where in the chain that might have happened. It might be the sets, it might be the artifice. I mean, we started with that shot of the audience underlining this is going to be a theatrical experience. And so if the actors are acting almost for the audience rather than the cameras and nobody anywhere in the chain is saying, well, no, that's, 
that's not really good television. If the prevailing mindset of the industry is that old stuff was overacted, I'm just not as naturalistic as we have now. That's going to affect things. And so Simon Dare's Elf Garnet was very strange. He did seem to be playing a downtrodden husband. He didn't seem to be playing Alf Garnet. I've listened to that original audio of the episode itself. And when Alf is arguing with Rita and Elsie, he's yeah, he's making himself out to be the victim, but there's anger there. He's 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 doing it on purpose, he's doing it intentionally, he's trying to make them feel really bad. And you can tell that in his voice. Whereas when Simon Day's being, you know, upset about his lack of dinner and his lack of you know, fireplace and what have you, he, he just sounds fed up. He just, oh, you know, you've gone into the pictures without me and what have you. Whereas Alf is saying to Elsie, you've got no right to go out to the pictures. And he means it. But you don't get that impression with this. So I don't really think that, that just how horrible Garnet is as a character, I don't really think it comes across in this. And this this didn't have to be to death is too far. It could have been any sitcom. It could have just been any sitcom about a household and about how the man of the house doesn't have any dinner that evening. Yeah, I, I just felt that this, there's something, there's always something menacing about Warren Mitchell's portrayal. And he really gets up to some very, very nasty stuff. I mean, the, the, the Christmas edition of In Sickness and Health, he feigns illness to get Rita to stay with him over Christmas, even though she's got a husband and kids to go back to for Christmas Day. But he's, he's got no qualms about doing something like that. And that's how nasty and cunning and menacing he is, but it just does not come across at all in this restaging. I liked the Rawlinses. The what? Rita and Mike. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Because they were so much younger looking, it underlined the generation gap thing a bit more than... Unistubs and Anthony Booth, but maybe that's just my eyes. It's just the way I see the world. That because, of course, these things were turned up on TV when I was a child, and when you're a child, even the young people look old. You don't really understand the generation gap as a child, so maybe that stayed with me, and now I'm old, seeing two young people. It's like, ah, oh, yes, I can see. There's just they're just bring. There was a certain flavour being brought out. Not saying Eunice Stubbs and Anthony Booth didn't do a hell of a job, because how long did that show run with them? But it just brought out a slightly different emphasis to those parts. So why? Why did this happen? Why does this exist? Does it have any right to exist? Let's let's forget everything else. Dad's Army the movie. Why? Why does it exist? Said before, you put yourself on really dangerous ground if you start accusing people of bad faith. But this part of me thinks that there's part of the culture and we said this last time about all the wonderful brands that sees the people as replaceable and in some ways doesn't care about the magic ingredient well our friend mike scott said on twitter i think he finally got around to watching the dad's army movie and he said it was good but it was unmagical and that's very difficult to talk about But yes, the magic. And does that come from the mindset you approach a project with? Why are you bringing back Are You Being Served? What do we need to know about the past of Hyacinth Bouquet? Why are you restaging Till Death Is Due Part and Hancock's Half Hour and Steptoe and Son? Do you have some idea that needs... Dad's army that needs George Mannering to be brought back before our eyes to say something new that can only be said by George Mannering or Alf Garnet or Wilberforce Clayton Humphreys or any of these people? Or is it that somebody else has already done the heavy lifting of making these things have value? And of course, it's not one thing or the other. I don't think anybody involved in any of these things is, is acting out of absolute pure good faith or absolute hard-hearted bad faith but something here in this whole retrospective part of the season is missing for me and i can't name it but i know when it's not there okay so this may be 
a different route to get to the same destination as yourself. But I'm not trying to blow our own trumpet here because, you know, none of us have ever been involved in making a sitcom. All I'm saying is that, you know, over the course of three and a half years of doing this podcast, and obviously it's, it's, it's coming to an end now. So we've looked in depth at a hell of a lot of shows over the past three and a half years, and we've looked at them from just about every single angle. So I think there's probably not really any aspect of the genre that we haven't covered. And hopefully we've, we've covered it in detail and we've covered it fairly and so on. Every single show that we've talked about, they're all greater than the sum of the parts because they've all got great actors in them. They've all got good writers. They've all got really, really good directors, producers, crew, ranging from the floor manager to just camera operatives, everything. Everything's there. There's an audience who have been warmed up by a professional warm-up guy there. The show's been commissioned by somebody, say Bill Cotton, whoever it may have been, who's just had the faith to say to a couple of writers, yeah, okay, I trust you go off and do this. Sometimes certain shows will have been built up because they didn't necessarily get over hugely with the public on their first screening, so they gave it a repeat. And maybe they gave it another series. And then maybe another series after that, like Only Fools and Horses, for example, took three series to really get a grip on the public's consciousness. Now, Every single one of those component parts, they're all crucially important, just like any kind of recipe when you're making something. And there's a certain 21st century arrogance involved in resurrecting old shows like these ones and saying, look, we've got the original text, we've got the script, we're not writing new episodes, it's, it's, it's not, you know, blasphemous or anything like that. We're showing due respect and what have you. And then thinking, yeah, but the actors involved, they're replaceable, obviously, we haven't got any choice. And in some cases, the writers, well, you know, if they're no longer with us or whatever, yeah, okay, they're replaceable. And the, the crew, of course, you know, they're going to be uh, the current day crew and what have you. And it's almost just like, don't you realise that all of those bits and pieces, all of them originally were what made the show what it was. It's not just about the script and the overall design and the appearance of the show and the title and so on and the catchphrases it's about everything what is it about the 21st century that makes people think because this keeps on happening again and again over the last sort of 15 or so years in film as well as television what makes people think that original actors and original crew and writers and directors and producers and so on are disposable in this manner this is a sort of having this conversation now that i that i alluded to at the end of the last podcast is, is I can't even remember how I phrased the question, but I was asking the question, is, is TV peaked already? It's not like it's already hit rock bottom. God, no. I mean, that, that's, I'm sure that's, that sure has to come in the future. But has it already peaked in terms of all of the, the key bits being there, willing to take risks, having the, the, the time and money spent on shows as well as having the, the creatives involved and so on? I don't know, but I mean, for example, something like the, these shows here, the stylistic appearance of them will get nods in the right places. It will get nods by TV critics in broadsheet newspapers and so on. It's also a way of saving money. There's also the tendency for creative industries. I saw it happen in comics before I saw it happen in television. For things to become marketing-led. When things get led by marketing they actually become safe. I think we've seen our friend Louis Boff say marketing-led and risk-averse. He's used those words together. And the thing is, is that dangerous, unique, risk-taking, these are very good marketing words, but they are a marketing nightmare. So what we have is fairly safe things being sold as dangerous. And therefore, any criticism of them being Fogeyism, stick in the modism. How many times have you seen a show recently be sold? Only this channel could have produced this show. This is about the risk-taking ethos of our brand, blah, 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 blah. Right, three lost sitcoms. So, so you're interested in the history, the development of British sitcom, are you? Okay, three shows people have heard of. Let's do a fourth, something nobody has heard of because we're talking about the history of sitcom. So are, are we here just to be given something that we can recite along with? Or are we here to experience sitcom? 
So fine. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the idea of taking a lost script of a television show and saying there's th- this should not go to waste. This is good stuff. Let's put it back on. Let's do something with it. We have scripts. Remounting Hancock, remounting till death, remounting, well, remounting Steptoe. That's actually part of the big didn't need remounting. As soon as it finished, I was able to check the original performance. And I've seen it. I've seen it on television. I've seen it on television before I onto the DVD. In my lifetime, I've seen the original performance. It didn't need reviving. It's been done. It's been done televisually. It didn't translate it to a new medium. The performances in Steptoe and Son were not bricks with the pest. And at the same time, they weren't impressions. And we didn't need impressions because the originals are there. But okay, people are going to want to see things they've heard of. But if you're serious about celebrating sitcom, tell you what, Dear Dot, go into the script archive. Is there a Dear Dot? Is there a script? I mean... Mark Lewison in the Radio Times Guide to Comedy quotes the opening line of Pinwright's Progress, the first television regular sitcom. How amazing would that be? Let's remount the first episode of the first regular television sitcom. Emily Enterprises. Obviously, if you start arguing this, some smart alligator, but people don't, haven't heard of that. They won't sit for that. What? So that's it? We're all hostages to our own memories? What channel is it that's producing all of these? Exactly. Everyone, I know they don't use that phrase before. Everyone needs a place to think. Next time BBC4 issues a press release saying, only we could have done this. Only BBC4. No, what you do is not that amazing. Because uh, we've seen what happens when you're given an opportunity to get into people's living rooms and say, this is the side that's forgotten. I don't expect them to do an entire season of shows that even the people who created them have forgotten about. But do a Hancock, do a Till Death. I think there are reasons why they didn't do a Lost Dad's Army. But do something like that. But then just one, just one of something is like, this is a show that millions of people watched that you might not have heard of. This is the kind of thing that made people watch television when television was a new idea, when sitcom was a new idea. Does it work? Doesn't it? Well, there's only one way to find out. We're going to perform it and you can look at it and react to it. Either you care or you don't care. If you don't care, don't do it. You can't sort of care and be put in charge of a project like this. There was no need for him to do this in 2016 because the anniversary was nonsense anyway. Anniversary was some uh, <laughs> a, a idea that the sitcom began with Hancock. And <laughs> let's let's be honest, probably they'll, they'll do this again in 40 years' time, and this time it'll be the anniversary of 40 Towers. And then, and then in a lot of 40 years after that, they'll do it, and it'll be an anniversary of men behaving badly. Sitcom I began saw then. a post. I don't know if it was on Facebook. I don't know if it was on a message board. I don't know if somebody spray-painted it on the doors of our garage, but... Somebody said they'd actually met somebody who thought Star Wars was the first <laughs> film. Can we get that person on Jaffa Cakes? Because I had heard an in-person interview with Barry Norman. And he was talking about a friend of his who used to like to hire a cinema, hire a 35mm print of Citizen Kane, put it on and invite his friends. And he invited a young friend he knew was studying film who'd not heard of Citizen Kane gasps of horror said how can you not have heard of Citizen Kane and he said this starts off with Star Wars now there's a risk in being too horrified we've got to resist our own fogeyism even if we're fighting for protecting the old ways from being abused we have to protect the new ways for me and for you what more can we do Gary has no idea what I'm talking about because he doesn't have any kinks albums. So, on the one hand, it's understandable to go, you've never heard of Citizen Kane, oh God. But then you bring with that a whole bunch of (coughs) shaming issues. (laughs) But there is the approach of, you've never seen Citizen Kane, you're going to get to watch it for the first time. Oh, I'd like to have another first time. Have you ever actually seriously thought, man, I wish hypnotism was just easy and safe so I could forget my favourite movie, forget my favourite album and listen to it for the first time again? So we can't just sit complaining and spitting on 
the young people who haven't heard of these things. But then again, I'm not entirely sure how much it's the young people who are the problem. Uh, Actually, you know, speaking of Citizen Kane, right, so I once met a teenager who'd never heard of Citizen Kane, and I wasn't much older than a teenager myself. So I started talking about Orson Welles and why he was so interesting. And there was somebody there who was much older than either of us who said to me, you can't expect to have heard of that. Okay, I, I sort of expected her to have heard of that, but I've moved beyond that point now. I'm fine with her not having heard of that, and I'm going to say why having heard of that is a good thing. Anyway, I thought Hancock wasn't bad. Just one last thing to say about that. You, you, you could definitely imagine, in response to everything that we've just said just now, you could definitely imagine some BBC executive saying, well, of course, you know, you two, you're, you're, you're you know, you know about sitcoms and what have you, you're interested they in use them. use the G word. And... What? Geeks. I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I wasn't thinking no, but I'm saying they would. Yeah, probably. I really hate the word geek. I know, it's horrible. But I know lots of people use it as a badge of pride, but it's almost apologising, saying my interests are trivial. Right. Civil War historian, Civil War enthusiast, Civil War geek. Now, which of these do you think wears a funny hat? Just just like what you like. You don't need to put yourself into a corner and stand there with your geek hat on. Just like what Problem you like is, if we resist it. this... The pendulum always swings the other way. History of humankind is always the history of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater. Well, anyway, right. Okay. Let's just give up. So <laughs> People aren't worth it. <laughs> anyway, okay, you imagine some BBC bod saying, well, you know, it's all very well for yourselves, but there's, there's some people out there who've never seen Todefus Dupar, never seen Hancock. Now, surely the response to that is, well, they still haven't seen it, even if they've watched these three. And it's not as if, if every single bloody episode of Death of and Hancock and Stiftons had been wiped by the BBC, and let's face it, it's not that unthinkable. But if they had, then there might be a point to this. But if they just wanted to educate a whole new audience about what sitcoms were like in the 1960s, there's bloody loads of them you could show, including all three of those shows and lots of other ones. So I just cannot get away from the idea that this was a really utterly pointless exercise. I don't include Young Hyacinth in that because Young Hyacinth is a prequel and it's the original writer. And I don't include Goodnight Sweetheart because that's simply picking up a show which previously finished. All the people involved are still the same people. So I've got no problem with those two at all, like we spoke about in the last show. But these restagings, they are just strangely pointless. Anyway, that said... Even Porridge, actually. One thing you said last time when we were talking about Porridge. Bring in... Clement and Lefrenay say we want a new porridge and say we just want a sitcom about what it's like to be in prison in the 2010s. Don't want a sequel to porridge. We want the 21st century porridge because it's the important thing is it's about that world. Yeah, but that, that again, somebody at the BBC is going to say eventually, well, you know, the brand, like you said. And eventually they're going to turn it round into being porridge, aren't they? <sighs> but anyway, okay, so the missing Hancocks, I know this is something that's gone on Radio 4 for a while. And so I think this is probably the strongest of the three shows because Kevin McNally, for example, had plenty of time to get into the role and the supporting cast and what have you, they've been doing this for a while. So it's not like it's, a, it's an entirely new thing. It was okay, yeah. I, we watched it the other night. No, I, I really liked it. I know some people are saying they'd welcome a series, and actually I would too. Also a repeat run of the original. Yes, that, no, there was a really, really good repeat run of Hancock in 1996. And also, ABC2. let's make sure that the originals they pull are the originals and not the re-edited for repeat <laughs> yes. now, versions. When were these things edited? Was it 85? Because it was a season? I think it, yes. Was that... if, you, if you notice, they have new end credits. Ah, yes, 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 indeed. See, Hancock fulfilled that thing. of It's, it's a shame to let these go to waste. Also, that Hancock was very gag-heavy. So in some ways, it didn't really matter if the underlying themes were not being captured because the jokes were going over. The jokes are partially going over because Kevin McNally knows what he's doing now and was in a really nice place between doing an impression of Tony Hancock but also sometimes just being Kevin McNally playing the part of Anthony Aloysius Hancock shifted between the two he's got the gestures but just sometimes 
I don't know how much he listened to or studied Hancock. There's just something about his performance that tells me there might be certain times where he could be aware of Hancock delivering a line a certain way and saying, yeah, but I'm doing it this way. He seemed very comfortable. The rest were suffering slightly from being up. It's, I thought Katie Wicks' performance changed when Kevin Eldon came on. She was already doing this rather strange flaring of the eyes. And I'm not blaming her. Somebody should have told her down a notch. Can't just leave actors to their own devices. Some of them will find their level and some of them won't. Great actors can sometimes not find their level. Lon Chaney said without a good director he would overact. But again, I think the artificiality of the set was having an effect on things. But Kevin McNally, because he knows what he's doing, because he doesn't really need to be told anymore exactly what to do, I think he was grounding things a bit more. I've seen it happen. One actor can change a cast for good or ill. It does seem that that was the 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 show where um, maybe maybe it sort of helped the fact that the it was a fairly large cast as well, in comparison to the other two shows. So you know, sort of spreading the load and what have you. But personally, I would have liked to have seen an episode where you had Sid at home with Hancock because. You get then a bit more of the sort of interplay between them and what have you, whereas Sid was, uh, you know, somewhat isolated in this. And I think you also said as well, did you not say that there was some sort of change in this episode in comparison to the original with regard to casting? We had the Kenneth Williams figure doubling up on parts. Originally, the guy working for Sid in his estate agent capacity was Bill Fraser not Kenneth Williams. Kenneth Williams only played the policeman. But that didn't feel too jarring as a choice. It is the kind of thing that sometimes happened. Oh yeah, no, no, I mean, yeah, sir, there's, there's plenty of instances where you've got cast members playing multiple roles and still happens in drama on radio today. Yeah, I didn't have so much of a problem with this and, and if they did make a series of it, I would sort of view it not so much as a as some restaging Hancock than a television version of the missing Hancocks from Radio 4. And we talked about, off-air, we talked about Flywheel, Shystone, Flywheel. So there's sort of elements of that here as well. I didn't have so much of a problem with this one. I, I can't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sit much a full series of it, really. Maybe you would yourself. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure, if they did a full series of this, I'm sure it would be popular enough. But, yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about this one, to be honest. It was, it was perfectly enjoyable for what it was. It, it definitely was most enjoyable of the three of them, I would say. So that brings us on to the show, which I think that we, we both sort of hoped was just going to be half an hour of catchphrases and eventually just noises and, 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 and sounds. <laughs> it didn't turn out like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Harry H. Corbett, that was Brant the physical cartoonist, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> I think there's an argument for saying that this is the show, first of all, which suffers the most from this appearance, the, the set design uh, choice, because the step-toe set in the original shows is just absolutely gorgeous. It's just such a beautiful piece of work. And it was so nice when Alison McGowan did those sketches in 2000, that they they recreated the set and it looked perfect. And it would have been so nice if they'd done that again in this instance. Whereas, I was actually speaking to somebody uh, who'd, who'd seen this after it went out, and they said to me, that they actually weren't sure at first because they weren't as familiar with the, the the episode as we are, and they said, "I wasn't even sure it was this supposed to be the original house because they were slightly thrown by the fact that that the shower was in place there, and they were thinking perhaps, oh, is this like is this like has Harold moved out? Is this like Harold's new home now or something like this? Because actually, if Harold did move out, then probably his new home would look a bit like that one. It would be quite stylish and have glass walls and all sorts of swanky stuff if you could afford it. So." Yeah, like we said, this episode here, this was one of the ones that was recovered and shown in, I think it was 1993 originally, it's called A Winter's Tale, and I suppose it covers most of the ground. It's quite a well-worn plot for Step to the business about how he wanted to go on holiday by himself, but it doesn't quite develop the, the argument between the two of them in the same way as the first Christmas special does, for example, in 73. I didn't recognise Jeff Rawl at all from the trailer until it was suddenly pointed out to me that, oh, hey, it's himself, as in Drop the Donkey and Faith in the Future and what have you. I had to admit that I didn't... And Billy Liar. Yes, yes, indeed. I had to admit I didn't recognise Ed Coleman at all. Going back to the set thing, though, 
One of the problems was, in certain shots, Harold's bedroom looked really expensive. Because it just looked like he had black walls. It looked like a really 80s kind of apartment on the black walls and the steel struts. And in the original version, the shower is out of place in his grotty little bedroom. So, yeah, I take on point. And it's, was it going to be that more expensive to just put some wallpaper and blue tack it up over the steel? Yeah, I mean, I know that there was never any possibility that they would have had the horse and car, for example. So you had that strange business where he's supposed to be outside and, and looking at the poster or, uh, and the billboard advertising Austria and what have you. And of course, in the original, he's on the horse and car outside. But, okay, so they weren't going to go to that kind That of... was so unnecessary as well. We could have said him come in and pretend to ski. That really pulled me out of the show before it even started. It wasn't the fact that he's he's sitting on the back of nothing with a pair of horse trains. It was the sudden light, ping! There's a billboard in the middle of nowhere. It's almost like it looked like it was a sort of dream sequence or something like that. Yes. But Okay, so the episode itself, I mentioned Jeff Rolder just now. I have to admit that I'm not familiar at all with Ed Coleman, so I presume that he's been in countless things and what have you. Sorry, I didn't recognise him, but I just sort of got the impression in this particular instance there was a bit more of the sort of... I know this is a really unfair thing to say, and I don't mean to denigrate the actors at all. I don't. I really don't. But this one just felt a little bit more as if it was just sort of going through... Going through the motions even sounds really harsh. I don't mean it to be. But there wasn't much umph in this. Whereas people in, for example, like the Hancock, the actors in the Hancock one, they were they're sort of given it, given it all and what have you. And I know it's a different show and the performance is going to be different and what have you. But you're right. Giving it plenty. <laughs> yeah, there's certain words you can't use anymore. This is true. No, this this one just seemed to just take its time and eventually got to where it was going. What well, one thing I really oh god, I really sound like a whinging miserable old git, don't I? And that's because I am. But one thing that did genuinely piss me off about all three of these was the business at the end. They take the, the, the oh cup yes. And go, what the? F-? Honestly, that was like the sort of the the the. You know my theory about the sketch show Thompson. Yes, but but for anybody who doesn't, do share it. For those of you who don't remember, was it 1988, Emma Thompson had a sketch show called Thompson that was something of a critical disaster and is still remembered by some today as a terrible, terrible, horrible, horrible show. And I rewatched it a while back and I'm not going to mount a defence of the show itself. But I think the reason that people remember it as being absolutely awful, as opposed to where it just came and went and ho-hum, is one, it starts with her in this kind of studio environment doing all these dance moves to, I think it's On Square Dance by Dave Brubeck. That doesn't help, because that's almost promising you the kind of bravery and risk-taking one only gets in press releases. And then right at the end... The cast is projected onto a screen and Emma applauds them and then she comes up at right at the end and takes a bow. And I think that that's more than anything else what really set people against this show. you got to be careful bowing on television. You really, you better be the Beatles on Blackpool Big Night Out. Just what you said there about Dave Brubeck as well. I think Leon Herring came up with this expression about Jack D's use of the themed Pulp Fiction one of his ITV shows, I think they came off the expression "borrowed cool." Ooh, so yeah, you're, you're basically you're taking something that's you know gone down well somewhere else, and you're just trying to get some rub from it. And there's an element of that using a very very well known piece of music as your opening theme. And there's a couple of occasionally you see it with sitcoms they use like a like a like a Helbarper tune or whatever it may be. But in this case, the bowing towards like the audience and what have you god it just i don't know what it was it just sort of rubbed me the wrong way and it reminded me a little bit of remember when miranda started and then they used you have been watching on it for the end credits yes and there's a little bit of yeah that's that's not yours uh, you, you, <laughs> i know you're going to try and pass it off as a tribute but but no okay so overall 
And you can tell I'm really bloody struggling because I've got a bucket all to say about but, but <laughs> any of this. But... I don't want us to go out this way. No, no, I know it's, it, it, it's awful, isn't it? Grousing, old man yells at Cloud. No. Okay, right. No, seriously, seriously, because we don't. Okay, we, we don't have any other. What would have happened in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid if the ending of the movie had just been them saying, "Remember Jossie's Giants? Uh, <laughs> kids, kids shows today are rubbish compared to Jossie's Giants." And yet, you don't remember Murphy's Mob, Peter Blake, for goodness' sake. But that was on ITV, and I don't know. Were you will you will were you allowed to watch ITV? I don't know. <laughs> did, you, did you have the ITV button removed from your, your um, television set? I went through a period of watching it, and then I went away from it. So it just obviously didn't sink its hook in me. It didn't have mysterious cities of God. Let's not do this either. The whole Gen X nostalgia thing—that's really played out, though, isn't it? But I mean, I mean, that's a great theme tune. Mysterious cities of gold and Jossie's giants. Jossie's giants. They're tight. Right, time out. Okay, so cocks on the table. To use a popular phrase, we don't have any sitcom clubs scheduled for the foreseeable. So this is this is the last one for now. We may be back at the end of the year. We may be back next year. I don't know. Let's just you'd me for like the last few minutes or so. Right. Let's stop grousing and let's also not do the whole sort of nostalgic business. We don't want to do that. Let's just talk about. Are we trying to climb up on the top of? Apple headquarters at Savile Row and try and be remembered. No idea what you're on about. Is that Beatles reference, is it? Yes! Right yes! Come right. on, it's the, it's the Beatles! I did! Quite famous! Yeah, I'm sure they are. They did a cartoon, that, that much I know about them. But anyway, okay, let's, let's actually just talk about... The Beatles were the most successful example of their kind that there ever was. And in my work, that's what I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw it days a week. I got a bit irritated at it. Right, okay. So, look, we've been doing Sitcom Club for three and a half years, and we've had lots of help from lots of lovely people. And I haven't planned this, so I really, really apologise if I leave your name off this because I, I haven't got a list in front of me. But we started doing this show on Cab Radio way back in April 2013, and originally it was ourselves, George Grimwood, a.k.a. DCT, and Rob Williams, a.k.a. Bogginstrovia. We've had help over the years from Squiddy, from G. Baker, from Birdie, from Melanie Mitchell, joined us in the Monkeys cast. We've had much assistance from Ark the Purists and Bean as a Carrot, from Lapscat, Ian Hepburn, from Jeremy Phillips of Cinema Limbo, Mrs. Ariza also. Many more followers who have messaged us on Twitter and Facebook, so thank you to you all. What I was just going to say is, as we're sort of you know wrapping up this show. What have you enjoyed about what we've been talking about for the last three and a half years? I know that we probably both have the same favourite sitcom club episode. So, is yours the same as mine? Because my, my favourite one is Nelly. Nelly was a good one. N- Nelly was just a breeze. It didn't, it didn't even feel like... I mean, we must have been speaking for about an hour and a half on that one. We're only talking about a 25 <laughs> minute programme because that's back when we were doing one episode at a time. But I think, in all honesty, I think that probably the ones I've enjoyed the most, apart from the occasional episode where you get just like one particular episode of a show which has tickled you for some reason, quite often it's the ones where we've spoken about specific elements of the genre and talked about maybe, say, shows that were uh, about a particular maybe topic or perhaps it was like, you know, specific writers or specific actors and so on. But there's lots of them. I mean, I don't know if we've actually hit 100 sitcom clubs in the archive now without including Jaffa Cakes. It's certainly somewhere around about that. It's, it's, it's somewhere around about the sort of 90 or so mark if we didn't hit a century. And they're all at sitcomclub.com. You meant every single one that we did there. There's one sitcom club that you can't listen to because it was never recorded. So if you heard us broadcasting our special live sitcom club a couple of years ago when we did Maid Marion and Many Men, then unless you recorded it, then, you know, it's lost to the sands of time because we didn't. And we've still got a couple of them in the archive that we've never actually released as a podcast, haven't we? Because we did this on the radio at first. We did actually record them. I think we have a recording of one. And it's it's a recording of a microphone next to a speaker. <laughs> well, you say this one. I've definitely got two somewhere. I do like the fact that there is at least one in-depth look at Bootle Saddles. I think we have also tried to push the other one and hope it rains as Lost Classics from the Canon of Esmond and Larby. Actually, no, we didn't. I think the two Lost Classics were the other one and Bootle Saddles. I think we said that 
there was something just not quite all the way there about hope it will download it re-listen somebody tell us whether we declared it a lost classic or not so family affairs this series was an odd cross between sitcom and soap with the emphasis on comedy which detailed the domestic exploits of the conovers a middle-class family living in northwood prime metroland territory north of london well, hang on what's going on does this sound interesting to you Family Affairs, as in the Channel 5 soap opera? No, no, something else. It's a show called Family Affairs, a cross between sitcom and soap. Ran for 14 shows. Does it sound interesting to you? Well, sort of. I'm slightly intrigued. I'm, I'm, we're not talking about the Channel 5 Then sitcom. maybe there's a script. Maybe that's the kind of thing they should have remounted. That's from 1949. So there's no chance of any <laughs> quivering bit of footage. I tell a lie, the earliest surviving piece of reasonable quality footage from a live program from the BBC is from 1947. But anyway, let's face it, there's not going to be any family affairs out there. Maybe a script exists. That's the kind of thing. That's the kind of thing they could have done. And just one in the middle of everything famous. I mean, why not mount something that was bad? Or take something that was really awful and make it not awful. This flop this famous flop take something that still exists and saying look i think we know where it went wrong we once did a recasting show where we talked about the idea of changing enough members of a cast to kill a show without being silly plausibly kill a show by miscasting do something like that only in reverse a little bit of breaking news just as we're completing this edition of the show the bbc has announced that of the sitcom season revivals slash new shows on BBC One, Porridge has been commissioned for a series, and on BBC Two, Motherland will also go to a full series. Marks and Gran have tweeted that the BBC have passed on a new series of Goodnight Sweetheart. But of course, being an independent production, there is a possibility that Gary and Co. may turn up on another channel. Interesting. In the meantime, you can find all the previous sitcom clubs and all the Jaffa Cakes for You can find them all at sitcomclub.com and at podnose.com. You can find our jukeboxes. How do you find our jukeboxes? What do you do? Where do you go? Confusingly, it's on mixcloud.com slash sitcomclub. I think we must be repurposing an old mixcloud account that we had. We should really fix that. We want. We want. And in the meantime, if you've got anything at all for us, you can tweet us at the sitcom club. You can tweet us at Jaffas for Proust. You can email us feedback at sitcomclub.com. And Tyler... I know what you're thinking. We still haven't given away the On The Buses board game. You're absolutely correct. I've got it up here from the room that I'm doing this in now. But no, no, the, the On The Buses board game will definitely be given away at some point. Somebody will win that. Guaranteed. And we'll take photographs and all sorts. So in the meantime, from yourself, Tilt, you've been Tilt. Who have I been? A miserable git in the corner complaining about having shit these days. Old man Gary. And this has been the sitcom club. I'm going to keep my recording going for just a moment because I want to just briefly mention two other names I forgot about. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody off at all. I wasn't planning on doing that bit early on, but I'm just going to throw that in just now at the end of the recording. We had Ian Hepburn on the show when we were talking about City Lights. We had some assistance with regard to Everquisen Circles from Jason Hazley. Okay. I did mention Birdie, yes. So hang on, before I stop this, uh, so so Boggs, DCT, um, G, Birdie, Squiddy, uh, Mike Scott, Bean as a Carrot, anybody else at all I've forgotten about? No, not Okay, cool. If I remember anybody afterwards, I'll, I'll, I'll 